what's up my fellow pilgrims welcome back to the pilgrimage podcast for those waking up to the wonder in all things celebrating truth and beauty seeking to live fully here fully present fully human i'm excited to jump into the next episode of the series that we're on exploring what it is to live a life that costs us who we don't want to be but before I do, I just want to remind you about the pilgrimage platform, uh, which is just this awesome opportunity that I have to share more reflections and insights into this pilgrimage life that we're invited to live. This life where we can be awake and alive to the beauty and the wonder around us. It's also an opportunity for us to connect more. I send out emails that uh, include these reflections as well as new music and uh, discount codes on everything that I'm doing. And it's, it's, it's rewarding because it's a place where uh, my, my work is supported in such a way that I don't have to have big adverts or campaigns to keep these podcasts going. I'm very grateful for all of you who have signed up. And if you want to get involved, you can go to joshualukesmith.com and sign up today. Without further ado, this is the next episode. Yes, my friends, I have been excited about this episode since the first one began. This is kind of the jewel on the crown of this series, i got to be honest. We've been working our way through, um, effectively, this acronym of discipline. I don't know if you all knew that or if you noticed that as the episode titles have rolled out. If you might see them on your, on your podcast subscription page, uh, we're slowly spelling the word discipline. And uh, this whole idea of we are invited to live lives that cost us who we don't want to be. Every millisecond of every second of every minute of every day of every week of every month of every year of every decade, we're having the opportunity to shape the person that we're going to be in the future, have the opportunity of meeting and getting to know, and as a result, sharing with the world. And so these principles are ways that we can build our life in such a manner that we actually get excited about who we're going to be, despite what we go through, despite the wars that we face, despite the, the front lines we often find ourselves on, we have the courage and the capacity to shape who we're becoming and um so we've just hit the letter l in the word discipline and uh you might have guessed it but the the word that this episode is based around is love uh the phrase is going to be loving you know to be those who are truly loving to be people rooted and grounded in love and and as a result to be people that shake the world of despair rob the world of discouragement and confront injustice not with hate not with pure anger, but with such a love that we can actually give the next generation a world that is brimming with opportunity and hopefulness. This episode, I'm going to do a little differently. I'm going to work through a text that I've read. Uh, as I said that, I've realized that's going to sound like a WhatsApp or an iMessage, an ancient text, a scripture that I've read over and over again throughout the years that has really become this manifesto for me of what it is to be loving, of what it is to be a person who who robs themselves of the opportunity to build a life based on hatred and jealousy and angst, but a life that is built on hope and love and friendship. And so I'm going to work through it with you today. And I hope that whether you are, um, you know, whether you're familiar with the Jesus story, whether you're someone who's ever dipped into the Bible or not, whether that is a familiar narrative or not, I just, I hope that this today's episode will ignite a fire in you of excitement and anticipation of what it truly li- looks like to live lives of love. So I'm going to read from this text, it's John 15. And if you know the scriptures 
um, you'll know that this is a point in the story of Jesus's life where he's coming to the end. We've had the Last Supper. We've had the washing of the disciples' feet. We've had these incredible moments where Jesus has given himself over to, to the coming realities of the days that will unfold, where he will, he will in a matter of time, die in front of the people closest to him, die a brutal and tragic death. He knows that's coming and he's with these men that, are, that have surrounded him for the last few years, these men who are his friends, but also his students. And in these chapters um, that we're exploring, he's given everything he's got. He's given his best stuff. Like if you read a Bible that has red letters, most of the chapters uh, 14, 15, 16 are just red because it's just Jesus talking. It's a friend telling another friend everything that they want um, them to know. It's this friend pouring out the, the jewels of wisdom and the, 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 the words of sorrow that he wants to release before his time comes. And it's just beautiful and deeply, deeply profound. And this chapter, John 15, has a few phrases in it and a few words in it that really, like I said, really have outlined for me, okay, this is what it looks like to love. This is what it looks like to be someone who is loving. And as, as a result, cost me, cost me the opportunity to be a man of hatred and a man of jealousy and a man of, um, you know, anger. And so Jesus says this phrase, he says, look, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. And now abide in my love. It's a really simple phrase, a very simple verse, but it has the power to unhinge you. <laughs> it has the power to make you incredibly uncomfortable. It has the power to reform and remind you of what it really means to be someone who loves. All right. Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. I want to try and break down how strange this verse is and how powerful it actually is. A couple of weeks ago, I went walking with my father. We spent a couple of days just spending time together and walking and talking and catching up and just sharing life and sharing our hearts. And it's so easy when you don't see someone regularly to almost forget just how deeply you love them and how, how, how much affection you feel towards them and then you get together and you're reminded oh my goodness you know this is such an important person in my life and and um and that that connection is rekindled and i was just thinking in context of jesus saying this if i had come back from spending time with my father rekindled in our affection connection and love and said to a friend of mine hey may i just want to let you know how much i love you i in fact i love you in the same way that my father has loved me that's how i love you if I, if I said that, it would sound pretty strange. It doesn't feel very comfortable to say that. I love you as my father loves me. And the reason it doesn't feel that comfortable and it does sound a little weird is because I'm comparing the love I have for someone with the love that someone has for me rather than saying, hey, I want to let you know how much I love you. I love you as much as I love my father. That's me making an assessment of my affection towards someone based on the affection I have towards someone else. But what Jesus is saying is the way that I have been loved is the way that I love. And think about this. I spent a couple of days with my dad and, and I, that connection was rekindled. And, and, and out of that quality time, I could have said that, hey, I love you like my dad loves me. Or I could have said, you know, without seeing him, hey, I love you as my dad has loved me and he's loved me for 30 years. And that should feel pretty overwhelming. Um, but actually it's all, it's all eclipsed by what Jesus says, because Jesus says, 
I love you as the Father has loved me. And there has never been a time where Jesus has, has ever had to rekindle or reconnect his relationship with his Father. In fact, there has never been a beginning to his relationship with his Father. His relationship with his Father has actually been, we can get mystical for a second, his relationship with his Father has been the very fiber of existence forever. <laughs> God's, God has only ever existed in relationship. God is three in one. There's this amazing, uh, amazing saying by, uh, I think it's a 12th, 10th, 10th, 12th century monk, Richard of St. Victor. He said this, he said, look, for God to be good, he only needs to be one. But for God to be love, he has to be two, at least, because love is giving and receiving. Love is relationship. Yet for God to be joy, he has to be three. Because joy comes, joy comes when two people share in a experience together, right? Like, I mean, I've, I've, I've had joy looking at a sunset on my own, but nothing like having my arm around my beautiful wife as we watch the sunset together over a beautiful coastland view, you know? Joy is the result of two people sharing in a third thing together. Joy happens when we're so unified with someone that we feel this ecstatic brewing within our body that reminds us that life is worth living and that there is a goodness in creation. And that has been the very definition of God forever and ever and ever and ever. God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has never known anything outside of relationship. And the, the powerful thing about it all is the only reason that we were created is because God wanted to involve more in this incredible flow of affection that he has always been and has always produced. So when Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you, he's saying, I've loved you with a love that eclipses every other expression of love. I have loved you with a love that overwhelms any definition of love you could ever create. The love that the Father has for me is a love that is unparalleled, incomparable, unrivaled, because it's utterly unresolved and unbased upon action or inaction. It doesn't hesitate, it doesn't pause. It doesn't wait for another initiation. It is constant, as constant as the waves are lapping against the seashore, as constant as the sun, as it dips and rises in the morning and in the night. It is as constant as the oxygen that we cannot see but sustains our very being. It is and always will be pulsing through every minute of our existence. The Father's love, says Jesus. Well, that's what makes goodness possible, kindness, repentance, reconciliation. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, in whom there are no shifting shadows, the Father of lights. Every good thing that humanity has ever witnessed is the result of getting caught in this eternal flow of affection that comes from the Father's heart. And so when Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, it's a great commission to all of humanity that says, there's a higher standard and there's a better way. There is a love available that is so other than what you have witnessed in all of history. 
And then Jesus says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. Jesus is saying, look, there is this flow of affection and goodness and love. And if you abide in that love, if you stay in that love, if you remain in that flow, then everything that comes out of it will be representative of you knowing me. If you keep my commandments, you'll stay in that love. And it's interesting because if you go back a few chapters and you read what the commandments are, it's, it's this. Jesus is us. He said, he, someone says to him, teacher, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to them, oh, it's this. It's simple. You've, you've known this your whole life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then Jesus says, but there's a second commandment. And it's that you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments, says Jesus, stands all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, look, if you want to stay in this flow, this eternal flow of affection that exists, that I've been living out of and leading out of and working out of, then, then keep my commandments. Because these are the commandments that I've been keeping to stay in this place of, of affectionate love. I love God. I love myself and I love my neighbor. What I think is beautiful about the three of these commandments is you can't actually have one without the other. We begin with loving God because when we love God, what we're simply doing is saying, there is a source to credit for every good thing in my life. James 1, I'll say it again. He says this, every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights in whom there are no shifting shadows. To live a life of gratitude where you're able to say every good thing in my life is a gift changes the whole way you see your day. Let me, let me, let me give you an example. I got this beautiful pair of boots. I got red wing boots, all right? I've wanted these boots for so long. And then my mother-in-law, or my mother-in-love, I should say, bought me them. I was so surprised, but she bought me them. Now, every time I, I, I lace up these boots, and it takes a little time to lace them up, every time I put them on and I walk somewhere, I walk with an awareness of the gift in my life. Every time I look down at the floor, I see a gift, gift, gift. I walk in gift, right? I didn't earn these, train, these boots. I didn't work for them. I didn't save up loads of money, then buy them. And look, looking down on the ground, I don't have a sense of my achievement or my hard work, my hustle or my graft. I look down and what I see is love. What I look down and see is Oh, a sense of someone else who cares for me and has gone the extra mile for me and has been kind to me. And I have a deep sense of gratitude in my heart. Now those boots, man, they're just reflective of everything in my life that is good. It all goes back to a source and the source is God, the one whom, in whom all things are held together. He is the source of goodness. So when I love God, when I love God, I give a, I, I give a name to the gift giver. When I say I love you, God, what I'm saying is you are the one who has given every good thing to me. And I don't want to go a day out of my life without showing the gratitude and, and, and expressing the, the thankfulness, which is due because of all I can see in my life, which is so wonderful. When you love God, you create space in your life to be someone who is able to serve and love others. 
I don't need to be the one that tells you this. You already know this. If you, if you live a, a lifestyle of gratitude, if you begin and end your day with gratitude lists, if you look into people's eyes and say, thank you, thank you, the reservoir in your heart to be compassionate and to give to others just grows and grows and grows. I've talked about this before, but if you live a life where you think that you are the source for all the good things in your world, you will hold everything you have like it could be taken from you. I made this, I got to keep it, you know? I caused this to happen, I have to sustain it. But if you didn't, if every good thing in your life is a gift, then it might just be you can give that away because you have the sense of trust that the gift giver is going to give again. <laughs> Lord, give us today our daily bread. It's not, Lord, give us today, a, you know, our weekly bread or our monthly bread. Give us daily bread. It's a prayer that is based upon the awareness of his faithfulness. I only need daily bread because I know you're going to bake something new next morning. You know, I don't need bread for the next three weeks. I don't have a poverty mindset. I'm not harboring everything. I'm not trying to, trying to um, pack everything away in the storehouses because I'm worried about the famine that's coming. No, no. You're a, good get, you're a good gift giver. God creates a new gift every single day to sustain us. So when you live in that way, suddenly when it come, becomes about loving yourself, you're equipped in a new way. You're equipped with a sense of compassion. You're equipped with a way of looking at yourself in the mirror, not as the master of your fate, not as your captain, captain of the ship. You look at yourself not as the person who's got to provide the means for you to exist, but as the person who gets to receive the gift that keeps on being given. It helps you look at yourself for who you really are, not who your fear and your shame would cause you to try and be. You don't look at yourself as the master of your fate or the captain of your ship. When you're that person, it's very easy to not like yourself because you can accredit everything that's going wrong in your life to being your fault. And as, at the same time, you can accredit every good thing that's going well to being your work. It's a whole lot of pressure to bear on your shoulders. But if you keep looking at yourself as the person who is on the receiving end of a gift, right? Then somehow you're able to take yourself off the pedestal and you're also able to take yourself off the tightrope, the execution chair. You can look at yourself as a person living in the mercy and the grace of the day. And that will help you look at yourself and say, you know what, today they're doing the best they can with what they have. And it will also encourage you to steward and to be grateful for and to be compassionate with all that has been given to you. So when it comes to loving your neighbor, it actually begins with loving God first. I love what Jesus says. He says, if you want to abide in my love, then love your neighbor. Give it away to get it back again. So Karen and I, my wife, we live in this block of flats and we've been, we've been just praying about how best we can love our neighbors. And one day we, we go to bed, within a few days of praying these prayers, we go to bed and there's a knock on our door about one in the morning. And so I have that moment that every husband is anticipating where I'm thinking, all right, this is it. There is someone who wants to intrude into my house at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so I get with my fist clenched. Boom, 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 knock on the door. I'm thinking, all right, I've watched enough UFC. I know what to do here. And I open the door and to my surprise, I see this, this lady and she's a lot smaller than me. And so I start thinking, all right, I think I might be looking a little intense and aggressive right now. So I chill out a little bit. And she says, um, can I borrow your phone? 
and I'm your neighbor from upstairs. And my boyfriend and I have locked ourselves out of our flat at one in the morning, putting the bins out. Can I borrow your phone? And I say, um, yeah, like, who do you want to call? And she says, I want to call the police to try and help me get back inside my house. And I say, well, I don't think the police can help you there, but, um, you know, we could call a locksmith. Why don't you come inside? So they come inside and like her boyfriend is shirtless because, you know, they were just getting ready to go to bed and stuff. So I get to throw him a T-shirt of mine. Of course, I threw him some Joshua Luke Smith merch. And um, we go downstairs and we're just chilling out. and We're just getting to know each other and chatting. And and so I started calling the locksmith. And it's one in the morning, so no one's really answering. And I try one person. They don't answer. The next person, they don't answer. The next person, they don't answer. And then finally someone answers. And and I say, okay, um, hey, I'm just, I'm just with my neighbors. They've locked themselves out. Could you come and redo their locks and the guy says yeah i could be there in half an hour i said great how much and he says 120 pounds so i look over at my neighbor say 120 pounds he's gonna be in half an hour and they say i think that's too much money and so i say oh oh okay um can you can you bring the price down at all and he says yeah i could bring it down to about 90 pounds so i tell him he can come for 90 pounds in half an hour and they say I think that's too much money. So I say, we won't be needing your services tonight and hang up and find myself sitting in my lounge with my neighbors. And the the kind of the reality dawning on me that we're about to have a sleepover. <laughs> so we spend the next bit of time chatting and hanging out. And then it's time to go to bed because it's really late. And so they go in our spare bedroom and we get into bed and Karen and I are lying there and we feel kind of giddy with excitement. And we're like, why are we feeling so excited? And we realize that we're witnessing the answer of a prayer that we prayed a few days ago. We want to love our neighbors. And then the opportunity came up. And the next day, they wake up slow. We have coffee and breakfast together and we became friends. And I was reflecting on the giddiness and the joy that I felt in my soul. And I realized it was this. Jesus said, love your neighbors as you love yourself. Love your neighbors as you love yourself. And if you do that, you'll abide in my love. So when you love your neighbors, you, you are in the process of being loved yourself. The love that you show to someone else just comes back around because it really isn't our love in the first place. You know, it's us aligning ourselves with this eternal flow of affection and love straight from God's heart, pulsing through the fiber of existence. And we step into it and then we witness it for ourselves. We experience it for ourselves and we make way for others to experience it. But as we let others experience it, as we, as we become images and manifestations of that love towards others, it only greater, it only heightens in a more intense and, and unique way for us the love that God has. So when Jesus says, you know, obey my commandments, he's just saying, make it easier on yourself to be loved. If you lock yourself away in a cage of bitterness and entitlement, you won't grow in love for yourself. Of course, not for anyone else, but you won't grow in love for yourself because if you want to love and if you want to be loved, you got to love, you got to give it away. And so he goes on in this chapter to say, this is my commandment. Let me just remind you. Let me just remind you. My commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. He doesn't, he doesn't like give this kind of 
five point strategy plan to his disciples like some kind of marketing guru. This is my commandment, do this and do this and do this. Print these flyers, make sure they're distributed or make sure that you are consistent on your social medias. How is anybody else gonna know? This is my commandment, hit these targets, get these goals. No, no, he's saying, this is my commandment, love one another, but not on, the, not on your own standard. Love how I've loved you. And remember, I love you the way the Father loves me. It's this constant flow of affection. This is my commandment. This is God speaking, my friends, pilgrims. This is God speaking. God in human flesh is saying, this is the commandment. This is how you will realign yourself with the true order that I intended you to experience when I first created humanity. This is it. This is the commandment. Love each other just like I love you. I don't know how long it took God to come up with the idea of making humanity, but I bet it was a while. I bet it took some time because for God to exist as three in one, like we discussed, there is already an expression of love and friendship and joy, you know? There isn't the need for that, for that much else. So I imagine that there was this lingering, you know, as God enjoyed himself. As the Father and the Son spent days looking at the Holy Spirit like we would do a sunset. Wow, look how beautiful God is. And then the Holy Spirit and Jesus marveling at the Father's goodness and love, taking pleasure in who he really is and the Father and the Holy Spirit looking at Jesus and just pouring out their affection over and over and over again, time after time. And then one day God said, we should make more. We should make humanity so that there would be another who would bear witness to this wonderful existence that we have. And so the, the ancient story in Genesis goes that God created man in his image and then spent time with man, walking in the cool of the night like friends, you know. And that was the primary focus for God, friendship with humanity. And we were made we were made not as tools in the belt of a workman, but as pictures in the pocket of a father. We were made not to be used, but to be enjoyed as friends unto one another. And I think in this scripture, Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, before I go, I need you to know that everything hinges upon you returning back to that original blueprint design where the very focus of your life is friendship with one another, with me that the most useful thing that you can do for this world would be to keep this stream of affection, this constant flow of love going. Don't get in the way of it. Don't let your tribal thoughts, your, your, your division, your desire for relegation and promotion to get in the way of this other-centered, constantly denying of self, love towards one another. Jesus goes on in the scripture, I'm jumping through it fairly quick, but he says, he says to his disciples, look, I, I don't call you servants. That's not how I relate to you, says Jesus. He says, I call you friends. See, servants don't know what the master is doing, says Jesus, but I've told you everything that the father has given me and shown me. We're friends. Listen, I, I don't know if this is impactful for you or not, but this changed my life. You have to kind of get out of a certain mindset of busyness and just plowing through and surviving the everyday to get here. But when you begin to consider that the very definition of our existence is to be loved, 
and to be friends with God, everything slows down and becomes a lot more simple. Everything that we do can be unto that reality to grow us in the way that we relate to one another and to the divine in more and more affectionate friendship and compassion. Jesus says multiple times in this scripture, you're my friends. I call you friends. And he says, look, there is no greater, greater expression of friendship than someone laying down their life for another. And, and Jesus, in a matter of time, is going to go and do that for them and for us. He's going to redeem humanity. He's going to reveal the love of God to humanity. But for us, every single day, there's a thousand ways to die. There's a thousand ways for us to choose to promote someone else, to be there for someone else. There's a thousand ways for us to not get in the way of this flow of affection from God to humanity. That flow of love has never stopped. It's always been constant. We just became numb to it. We just got lost and busied ourselves. Jesus is the author of the great awakening. Jesus, he's the instigator. He says earlier, just a few chapters before this, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the one who is resurrecting us back to life again. He's waking us up to what has always been the case ever since the beginning. You were created to be loved and to love. And you've been lied to a thousand times a day about your purpose and about your definition. You've been distracted. But Jesus, in his life, is showing us not just what God looks like in tenderness and forgiveness and reconciliation, but he's showing us what humanity looks like. It's one thing to say true friendship, true love is revealed in someone laying down their life and use it as a beautiful, simple metaphor. It's another thing to say that and then go and do it. And Jesus did. Friendship is God's big idea. <laughs> Friendship, I believe, is how God wants to stir our hearts, awaken our minds, and open our eyes to this constant and eternal flow of affection from his heart to ours. I've been thinking about friendship a lot recently, and uh I wrote about it recently. I just spent some time just to share my thoughts. And I wanted to end this podcast, this podcast about being people that are loving, about costing ourselves who we don't want to be with just this reflection on friendship. Because for me to stay loving, for me to be someone who is loving, looks like prioritizing friendship. Jesus said, there's no such thing. There's no greater love than this for a friend to give his life for another friend, to die for his friend. And there's so many ways to die for a friend. Friendship is it's an odd thing to write or talk about. It feels awkward. It's, it's vulnerable and delicate. And I, I, I don't know why entirely, but I think it's got something to do with the fact that I'm so desperately in need of it. And even to acknowledge that is to somehow play those deepest notes upon the instrument of my soul. Because if I'm really honest, and I think if we're really honest, we long to share our lives. We long to give our lives, to lay them down in one way or another. And in this age of social media and the constant publishing of 
what should often be kept private. It's easy to even recoil at the idea of giving ourselves away even more. But unlike these posts confined to square boxes on ever-updating timelines or fleeting tweets with limited characters, our lives are songs. Our days are poetry. We are crafted works of art that, without the intimacy and acknowledgement of others, hang upon the walls of empty galleries, yearning to invite someone into a world beyond their own. I, I recently came home from a pilgrimage with one of my best friends, Will. And we've been friends uh, for the best part of a decade. I'm going to get him on this podcast at some point. And we've experienced both the roars of belly laughter as well as the whimpers of heartbreak and grief. And whilst we were away, I had what felt like a profound realization. I've never felt more alive or more purpose-driven than in our friendship and in my friendship with the closest people to me. All my ambitions and my hopes to heal and help this world can honestly be summarized in friendship. I simply want to be known and help others feel the same way. Laughing together, praying together, celebrating together, eating together, grieving, disagreeing and debating together is the evidence that we are indeed alive. That we've been courageous enough to allow someone to step beyond the frame of our fears and insecurities and into the landscape of our story. The picture changes. That picture cha hanging on the wall, it changes when someone is added. The work of art is made again and again. There's a new verse in the poem, a new melody in the song. We are not static or alone, but renewed and remade time and time again. And is it full of risk? Yes. <laughs> Dying isn't without risk. Is it full of risk? Yes, every time. Does it cost us control? Yes. You know, that's one of the best ways that you can die every day is give up control. Could it ruin our plans? More than likely. Will it be worth it? More than anything in the world. I, I don't know if you've seen this film, but in the opening scene of Christopher Nolan's incredible, this is my favorite film in the world, incredible film, Inception, there's a profound piece of dialogue which has helped me process loss and purpose within friendship. And I want to close this episode by just um, reading the, an excerpt from the script because it has had a real profound impact on me on both what it is to be a friend and what it is to stay loving in this world, to be someone who is loving. So just to give you a very, very brief overview of the film before I read the script, the plot, I'm going to really dumb this down, but the plot is um, a group of people who are using dreams, yes, dreams, people going asleep dreams to help plant ideas and concepts and one character is so deep within a dream, deep, deep within a dream that he's lost. And so the main character has got to find him in this dream world to wake him up, to wake him up to come back to reality. And then interestingly, the only way to wake up from this dream in such a deep state of slumber is for this kick to happen, whether it's a fall or death itself, to wake up and come out of this dream state. And so we find ourselves in this scene where we can see these two characters, one who's a young man and one who's an old man, because in this dream state, he's aged decades in what would have only been minutes in the real world. And so Cobb, 
played by Leonardo DiCaprio, says to his friend Sato, I've come back for you. Sato is now an old man and he says, I've come back for you to remind you of something, something you once knew, that this world is not real. And Sato replies, to convince me to honor our arrangement. And Cobb says, yes, to take a leap of faith, to come back so that we can be young men together again. Friendship, loving one another as Christ has loved us, as the Father has loved us. In this broken and beaten up but breathtakingly beautiful world is the art, I'm convinced, is the art of keeping one another awake. The process of reminding each other that there's a bigger and better story at work. That there is a redemptive and hopeful narrative whose author isn't fear. We keep each other from falling asleep in the pain, in the desire to be numbed, and as a result to walk away from wonder. Friendship, my friends, <laughs> my fellow pilgrims, is reminding one another that we will be young men and women together again. It's pulling each other away from the valleys of despair, discouragement, disillusion that lead us into this state of sleep and slumber. Dying to self, dying to the constant, constant need to be first, to be right, to be ahead, to be at the top of the pile is often what it looks like to be a good friend, to lift someone up above yourself, to do as Jesus did and put them first. I'd love to close this episode with a, um, with a very simple and, and short prayer, but it's a prayer that, that has helped me in this, this desire and in this manifesto to be someone who is loving, to stay loving despite all that is thrown at us to lead us astray. Dear God, I'm so afraid to open my clenched fists. Who will I be when I have nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you with empty hands? Please help me to gradually open up my hands to love those around me, to discover that I am not what I own, but what you want to give me. My friends, it's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift.